0: Hey there, plant friends. Thank you for joining me today here in my little studio in Taylor, Texas. The temperatures outside lately have been pretty consistently cold, especially overnight. And I think it's pretty dang cold here in central Texas, at least for this week. And even though it's only been a week, I've got to say, I'm not really enjoying it, I'm not loving it, and actually, I'm pretty over it already. I am just so ready for springtime temperatures and having some more daylight. I really miss having those long days with lots of light. Plus, I'm really ready for my yard to look uh, to start looking better and stop looking so sad and dead. I'm tired of naked trees. But it's only mid-January, so we still have a little while to go before things start perking up. Even though it's been cold lately, and I'm not particularly excited about having to go outside and do my chores in the morning, taking care of the animals and checking on things in the yard. But it's really a great time of year for gardeners because mid to late January is actually one of the best times for planting and starting seeds. Now the past few shows I've spent time talking about starting seeds indoors, those um, summer garden plants that take a really long time to grow and set fruit before it gets way too hot in Our Texas heat. I'm talking about plants like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants. Those need to be started indoors right about now, mid-January. And if you want to plant them outside at the very earliest, sowing them indoors will give them plenty of time to grow into healthy little baby transplants that are ready to be planted outside in early March once the last average frost has passed. And that's always around March 5th for our part of Central Texas. So if you are interested in starting tomato and pepper seeds and eggplants, go over to your favorite podcast platform and download episodes 47, 48, and 49. Each of those shows I go into quite a bit more detail on how to sow seeds indoors. Okay, like I mentioned before, mid to late January is a good time of year for us to plant seeds in Central Texas, not only indoors, but also outside. And really any time now until the end of February is kind of the perfect time to plant all of these nice cool season veggies out in our vegetable beds. Right now, we can plant artichoke crowns, Asian greens, asparagus crowns, beets, broccoli, and cabbage transplants, carrots, cauliflower transplants, Swiss chard, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, leeks, lettuce, mustard greens, onion sets, English peas, Irish potatoes we'll be able to plant um, around Valentine's Day, We can always sow radish, spinach, and turnips also. So as you can tell, it's a really great time of the year for planting so many of these cool season plants. All of these plants can stand the cooler weather, even if the temperatures kind of get pretty low, as always keep an eye on the weather. It's Texas winter weather in Texas is weird. We just don't know what to expect from day to day sometimes, and we actually could get all of the weather, all the extremes in the same week. That's just how it is here. I'm not sure I'll ever get used to it, but that's how it is with all this cold weather i've been thinking about what i want for my garden and how i hope things will be this year i am always an overly optimistic person and i always think about how i really want the garden to be and i always envision my flowers being really lush and colorful and and my vegetable plants being super productive and putting out tons and tons of fruits and vegetables. Since we moved to our house um, here in Taylor, I think it's been like 16 years now, but since we moved here, we have been gardening this whole time, and every year we try to add something new. Some years... The garden has been pretty close to being perfect. Other years, just a mess. Having a wonderful garden is a lot of work, but it's very rewarding, and there's always something that you can gain even if it was a bad year and things didn't grow as you planned because you can always learn from um, any mistakes that were made and try something different next year. But really, no matter where you have a garden or you grow plants, it doesn't matter if you're in Texas or if you're in Alaska or anything, there are just so many things to consider and so many variables to success. Gardening in Central Texas can be quite challenging, especially when you want to only use organic practices. Lot We get lots of weather-related challenges, but we also have issues with insects and disease problems. And also kind of life gets in the way, presents some challenges. Since moving to Texas, um, you know, we have four kids, and we've had three babies. They're all July babies since we've moved um, to Texas. And... Those years when I was pregnant, I was really busy gestating and all of my energy went into growing healthy, happy babies. So my husband took over a lot of the care and planting and tending to our garden um, those times when I was pregnant. Other times, some years, we just had um, really bad drought conditions one time we went out of town for a few days and we came back to find hornworms had eaten some of the tomato plants way down to nubs and you know of course last year we had that, that big winter storm and then later on in the late spring we had tons of rain and Everything kind of stayed waterlogged and soggy, but those things aren't always going to happen. Those are really unusual, uh, unusual things. It, it's not always like that. So don't get, get disheartened. It's nothing to be discouraged about. It happens to everybody the the best that you can do is just keep trying and find, find ways to enjoy your garden. I grew up in a military family and I lived in army housing most of my childhood. So we also lived in several different places in the United States, but also overseas, so we moved a whole bunch and we weren't really able to keep much of a garden. I mean, we had um some planter boxes and some flowers and potted plants just so we could have some some cheer. But, you know, we never had a big garden or anything. It just just really didn't work out. But every few years, we would spend summers at my grandparents. And they had just an incredible backyard garden. And I loved going out into their garden and looking at the plants and picking strawberries and, or green beans or whatever my granny would let um, let me pick. I've always enjoyed being outside um, when I was a kid and I would spend hours outside just digging holes and looking at plants and bugs and you know picking wildflowers, collecting seed pods and pine cones. I really enjoy being outside. So once I kind of grew up and settled down and I finally had a place of my own, I started a garden and I had to pretty much teach myself everything about gardening. I mean, I you know would go get books and look at magazines and um, pretty much just do things by trial and error. And what I really have figured out over the years is that planning and prepping are really the things that will set you up for a successful gardening experience. Growing plants in Central Texas, especially in the heavy black clay soil that we have here in Taylor and our side of um, I-35 in Central Texas, it can be challenging for new um, good gardeners, and also experienced gardeners that are new to our area. Now, because it's a new year, and really things are going to slow in the garden thanks to the weather, but I thought it might be a good time to take the opportunity to talk about some backyard gardening basics. There aren't a whole lot of plants that will successfully grow without soil at least not around here the only one i could think of was ball moss that kind of clings in stays in the trees but we really aren't trying to grow that soil is just so much more than dirt healthy soil drains well it's loose and crumbly and it's rich in organic matter and microorganisms no matter where you decide to plant your plants you know in the ground or in pots or in raised beds healthy plants come from healthy soil healthy soil is so much more alive than most of us even realize it's full of microbes like bacteria and fungi and then also beneficial creatures like earthworms. All soil contains rock material like sand, silt, and clay, and also like regionally different organic matter. Just depends on where, where you live. Taylor is in the Blackland Prairie and we have a very heavy clay soil. Sometimes you'll hear it called black gumbo because when it gets wet, it's thick and really sticky. But luckily for us, it's really easy to turn it into healthy, fertile soil. So to fix it, that heavy black clay soil, you need to mix it. And, it, and this, this really goes for any unimproved soil that you have. Like, so you take your grass off and you just have the soil in the ground. This is going to help you improve the soil a lot it doesn't matter how much clay you have in it any improvement is going to be great for your plants so grab a shovel and a garden fork or maybe borrow a tiller and turn over your planting area this is going to loosen compacted soil it's going to break up clumps and it's going to get air into the ground air is really important for the microbes and the soil critters because they're alive and they need oxygen too Once you get it all turned over, you will need to enrich your new bed with some compost. Compost is decomposed plant material. Store-bought compost will likely be animal manure, like rotted chicken manure or um, decomposed cow manure. Or it could be a very specific blend containing plant materials like mushroom compost, Um, it could be grass or hay or straw, and leaves and decomposed wood particles. Now, good compost never smells bad. It may smell really earthy, but it's not gonna smell putrid. It can be very well sifted, or sometimes it'll be kind of chunky, just depends on, on what you get and kind of the mix in your bag. But compost and fibrous amendments, when you add those to your soil, they're gonna provide nutrients and it's gonna help keep the soil loose and it's also going to improve moisture retention. If you're gonna be planting in raised beds or in pots instead of directly into the ground, you'll likely be purchasing bagged soil. So for those planters in raised beds, keep it simple. A good mix will contain sand or other minerals um, to provide um, drainage. It's also gonna have compost and other organic material in it like core fiber. What you want to do is avoid soil mixes that contain extra fertilizer or moisture gels and polymer. These are synthetic additives and they're really not needed. Extra fertilizer already mixed in um, with, your, um, with your soil base. You just don't know um, if your plants have a nutrient deficiency. And if you have um, fertilizer already in the mix and then you add more fertilizer to try to help correct the nutritional deficiency, you really could end up, over-fertilizing your plants and causing more damage than, than you really intended. And kind of the same thing goes for those um, moisture gels and polymers. They can mess up um, the soil biology in your pots and in your raised beds, so don't bother with them. They just cost ex- extra money, and you don't need them. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you'd like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and feel free to leave a review. It's really quick. Just click on the stars, maybe write a sentence or two. This is going to help others find the show and, you know, it lets new folks know that Plan Hose is a pretty good show. So a few years ago, I set up a Facebook group called Taylor Texas Backyard Gardeners as a place for folks to show off their garden pictures and ask questions and just network with other Taylor area plant people. I really enjoy flowers, plants, and trees and creating a beautiful environment. And I really like talking about gardening with others. Plan Hose is just an extension of that desire to connect with others who share a common interest. So that's kind of why I do this show, because I like plants, I like plant people, and I like helping others be successful. Well, it, it is a brand new year, and if you're planning on installing a, a new garden bed or planters this year, One of the very most important things that you can do to ensure success is to carefully consider where you place your new growing space. Location is so important. So take some time to think about several things, including how much sun the location will get. Most crops need six hours of sunlight, so if you are planning to plant some food out in your vegetable beds or start a new vegetable bed just keep in mind that those plants need quite a bit of sun to uh, be productive also they don't really want a a whole ton of light because uh, of extended light because it gets freaking hot here in texas and that summer sun can be So, so intense. Most plants benefit from a little afternoon shade, especially as we get really deep into summertime. Also, you want to think about um, how you're going to water your new bed. You know, how far away is it from your water source? Is your hose going to be long enough to reach it? In my experience with any garden design, always think about your water. Where is it and will it be close enough to do what you want to do? Because I have made that mistake before putting in new beds or planting trees and then having to drag the hose around or worse, having to fill up watering cans and walk all the way across the yard and try to water plants that way or trying to hold my thumb over the end of the hose and then trying to spray while arching the water stream just right so it exactly hits the plants that I'm trying to water. Don't do, don't do that. Just think about your water source. Don't do dumb stuff like that. If it hasn't rained in a while, watering large beds and planters deeply. Once a week will is um, pretty sufficient for most of the year. Potted outdoor plants, they may need to be watered more often just because of the size. But, of course, in the summertime, you'll need to water more frequently. Morning is the best time to water in the summertime. When you water in the morning when it's cooler... You'll lose less water to evaporation, and it gives time for any water that gets on the leaves to dry before that afternoon sun beats down on them. Watering in full sun can actually cause sun scald. It's like the where it bleaches out spots on the leaves, and that's caused by um, the the water on on the leaves that was um, left over from watering too late in the day. It's kind of like sunburn. Stress plants, including heat stress, are much more vulnerable to disease and pests. It's usually fine to water during the day when the sun isn't directly on them. Water them at the roots is always a safe practice. Early evening is also fine. You don't want to wait to soak your garden after the sun sets. It's cooler in the evening, but if you do this too often after the sun goes down, you can run the risk of creating the ideal environment for fungus and mildew growth. With too much water, it can kill plants really quickly too. If your soil is soggy, plant roots are going to rot and it's kind of confusing because they may look wilted and like they need a drink, but the problem is actually rotten roots. The Rotten roots can't take up the water, so the plant will start to shrivel up and it looks like it needs a drink of water, but then you're just only making it worse by giving it more water. And a, not a whole lot can be done for waterlogged plants other than being patient you can try to remove the dead leaves and wait and see if the plant recovers. In the summertime, overwatering usually isn't an an issue unless you have a problem with drainage and then that can be problematic. Try to visit your plants as much as you can and you'll you'll take note. You'll you'll figure out when they need to be watered. Visiting your plants daily and observing changes in the conditions will help you feel more invested in the growing process and you're going to be able to identify and address issues much earlier. Knowing when to water and how often can be difficult to understand, especially in the heat of summer. But really, a lot depends on the actual plants themselves. Some plants want to stay moist all the time, and some prefer to dry out a bit in between watering. So do a little research on the ideal water conditions for your plants. This is especially helpful for um, beds where you have different species in the same bed. You don't really want to have a moisture loving plant in with um, something that needs to drain thoroughly Um, because it'll be very difficult to maintain um, the perfect growing conditions for two different water needs. Soil type and weather conditions also play big roles. There are general guidelines, but a key to watering is also understanding what you have going on with your soil. If you have concerns about moisture retention or soil conditions, one of the easiest, the simplest, and cheapest things that you can do to improve your beds is to add an additional thin layer of compost on top of the soil, and then followed with a layer of mulch. Just an inch of compost in your beds will will really help a lot. Compost provides nutrients to soil microbes, and even though you didn't dig it in those microbes are going to go seek that food they're going to wiggle their way through the soil and that's going to help aerate the soil and also create some air pockets and it's so easy to do they do all the work for you compost is also going to help absorb excess water if that's a concern i mean it's not like a it's not like a sponge but compost um, will be able to draw moisture away from, from the soil, at least some of it, and that, that will help too. The compost is also really great because it's also, it can also help retain moisture when conditions are dry. With the mulch, the more mulch you have, the more likely it's going to be able to help keep your chores down because mulch keeps weeds down a lot and it also helps keep moisture in mulch protects your plants roots by maintaining moisture and it can also lower the soil temperature because it helps insulate from super hot and also really cold you can use wood mulch you can use leaves, pine straw. You could even use newspaper and cardboard or a combination of any of those. Any of those things make really good mulch. If you like asparagus, now is the time to plant asparagus in Central Texas. This time of year, January through the end of February, is really the only time to um, to plant asparagus. It's the optimal time to plant asparagus crowns. Crowns are root divisions that you purchase and then place in your asparagus, asparagus bed now through the end of the month. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't like asparagus, not at all. I think it makes a really interesting and ornamental plant and I find it pretty but I don't like the way it tastes. I don't like the way it smells. I'm not interested in it, and I'm really not enthusiastic about it. Asparagus contains asparagusic acid, which is a compound that, as you would guess, is only found in asparagus. When you eat asparagus and your body digests it, the asparagusic acid gets broken down into byproducts that contain sulfur. Your body doesn't need these byproducts, and as a result, they go ahead and pass on through your body. And your body excretes them in your urine, which is why asparagus makes your pee smell disgusting. It's all those sulfur molecules in your urine. And here's another fun fact. Not everyone actually experiences this gross phenomenon. And from what I found out, most people do, but some don't. And I think it's crazy. I I can't actually believe that this was studied by scientists, but it was. And I learned something um, all about this. And I learned that they haven't exactly determined why, but they think it's either because these people don't metabolize it in the same way, or probably more likely that their scent receptors don't pick up on those volatile odors. Like I said, I'm not a fan, but I'm sure there are plenty of asparagus fans that are listening today, and if that's your thing, I always want to encourage you to try to grow the foods that you love. Just because I'm not gonna go out of my way to eat it, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't talk about it. I mean, after all, I talk about oak trees and Bermuda grass, but I don't eat those either. Asparagus is a perennial plant, which means it will grow and produce and then go dormant, but then come back in the spring, year after year. Most perennials that we grow will keep coming back six or seven years before they kind of peter out and they they die. But asparagus is really hardy and it can live a really long and productive life. Like it lives for like 15 to 20 years when it's happy and healthy. Asparagus does do better in cooler parts of Texas, like in North Texas and West Texas, but asparagus can be grown in Central Texas if you find the perfect spot. And you also grow a variety that tolerates our slightly warmer Central Texas climate. So from what I have found, look for Mary Washington, Jersey Knight, and jersey giant varieties for our gardens here in taylor and central texas since asparagus needs to stay in one permanent location it's really important to select the right spot in your garden and make sure you prepare the bed well you have one opportunity to get it right because you're not going to want to disturb those roots once you get them planted asparagus grows best in full sunlight with well-draining, lightweight soil. If you plant it in the ground, in our heavy black clay soil, you're gonna have to really amend, amend it with a whole lot of sand and lots and lots of compost. Sand and compost are gonna help a whole lot with keeping your soil loose and light. And that's exactly the kind of soil that asparagus loves. If you have a spot in your garden that is on the north side, that could be a really good location, especially if it's sort of out of the way. These plants are going to be there a long time, so put them somewhere that isn't taking up prime gardening space. It's asparagus. You're not gonna hurt its feelings if it's not in the front and center in the very best spot in your garden. When your asparagus crowns, uh, when you get your asparagus crowns, you'll notice that they kind of look like little string mops. And what you wanna do when you plant them is to dig two trenches with a mound or like a a hill in the center. Doesn't have to be very tall or very deep. You'll drape and spread the asparagus roots in the trench and then cover them with the dirt from the center mound. So that said, there are... That's kind of hard to explain on the radio, um, but there are lots of really, really enthusiastic asparagus growers out there, and you can find lots of videos out on the internet, and they've got a whole lot of really good tips for growing asparagus. It's going to take like three years before you are supposed to harvest the spears, but... If you keep your asparagus beds moist, you can have lots and lots of spears for many years. Each winter, the ferny feather parts on top are gonna turn brown and they'll die back, and all you gotta do is just cut that mess down because in the springtime, you'll get brand new growth. Well, thank you for joining me again today. Even though it's Cold and blah, some of the time it is really a great time of the year to get excited about thinking about the potential in your garden. And of course, you can always sow those cool season seeds that I mentioned earlier in the show, and then also start some plants indoors. Hope you have a great week. <laughs>